by the uh, county fair, be sure to stop in uh, and uh, say hi. And just a great opportunity for those that are working at the booth. And if you didn't sign up, but you want to hang out at the booth, that's good to do as well. Just to, you know, bypass people go by and I just start talking to them. Just say, hey, how are you? Hey, ever heard, heard our station before? No, I haven't heard your station. You know, a lot of things going on in the world right now. You might want to spend a little time knowing what God's perspective of everything is. And you know, it's really funny. People just open up to you in some interesting ways. And just to take every opportunity, I always share this story uh, every fair time because I remember this one kid comes up and some of you, you're probably tired of hearing this, but it just, it was just so funny. This kid comes up to the booth or, you know, just where we're there. And he goes, how's this game work? And I said, what's your name? And he goes, Bale, that's right. You want a hat. And you ought to have seen the look on his face. It was like, uh. So I see him leave. He goes over and he's talking with his other friends and they're pointing. He comes over. This other kid comes over. He comes up to the booth and he stands there. I said, hi. And he goes, hi. I'm Frank. I said, hi, Frank. I'm Frank. I said, well, I'm, I'm good to meet you, Frank. He goes, I'm, I'm Frank. I said, I bet you want to win a hat, don't you? And he goes, yeah. And I said, yeah. but it was so funny to watch it because you just playing with it. anyway. It's, it's just take every opportunity that you can out there. It'll be a good time. If you have your Bible this morning. I want to invite you to turn with me in them to the book of Acts, chapter 6, and then we're going to go into chapter 7. And uh, again, the Bible is a Bible full of God's divine miracles work through people like you and me. Now, how God does that, to me, is always an amazing thing. And what we think sometimes is a miracle, God does different things in different ways at different times. We think a miracle perhaps is a, is a divine immediate healing, but just to have God use you in a way to speak to people, friends, is a miracle too, as we're going to see this. Now we remember as we studied last week, Acts chapter 6, it starts off, and we remember going back a couple of chapters, the body was in one accord and they were all together and they were all loving one another. Now we get to chapter 6 and there's a dispute that breaks out amongst the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebrew Jews, the uh, widows, if you will. The Hellenistic Jews were Jews that were conditioned by the Grecian culture. In other words, they probably weren't kosher. The Hebrew widows were and followed the Old Testament scriptures. And there was this dispute among them saying, well, they're getting more things than we are. And there was a fight that broke out. And we remember that the apostles got together and said, it's not good for us to uh, do this. We need to be in God's word so we can uh, share with everyone. So they picked seven people to be over this matter. 
And Stephen was one of them. Now, somebody say, well, what's, what's that about? Well, maybe it was that the Hebrew widows felt they were more superior and that they were looking down at the, um, uh, the Jewish uh, widow, widows that were influenced by the Grecian culture saying, well, you're not kosher, we are. And there was probably that chiding going on, wherever it was. But they put seven guys over it and it smoothed out. But we know that whenever God puts us in any position, God will continue to add to our lives. And it's interesting, we we don't know a lot about the other people that were appointed, but Stephen was one that was filled with God's Spirit. And we find that as he was progressing in what God had him do, we find here in verse 9 something that happened. Now it says that, Again, verse 8, Stephen was full of faith and power, did great wonders and sign among the people. Started out as a a person that waited on tables. Now God is accelerating him into a place of prominence. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of freedmen. Cyrenians, Alexandrians, those from Sicilia and Asia disputing with Stephen. Now, what's interesting about Cecilia here that we find is that it is in the place of Tarsus. People have asked the question, well, how did the, they know to write all these things down? Uh, who was there recording it to put it in the Bible? Well, it's probably because of those from that area of Tarsus were Paul was from earlier Saul persecuting Christians. Then God got a hold of his life and changed him. And so what we find here is that God begins to do something really amazing because all these stories that we find are now working their way into our Bible so we know what really went on. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we ask that you bless it to our hearts. Lord, that we would understand and remember what we read and be able to apply it to our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it says they were disputing with Stephen. It's impossible, friends, if you're a real believer in Jesus Christ, that you're not going to get into disputes over ideas, thoughts, doctrine, and the internet. Why is that? Because there's a lot of really kooky stuff floating around out there. You know, there's an, there's a, a something floating around that Donald Trump is the Antichrist. Well, first of all, let me tell you, you can dispute that one really easy. Nobody likes Donald Trump. Well, I mean, the world doesn't because he's not a one world order person. But the point simply is this, is that the Antichrist will be and have great appeal to everyone. And that's one of the reasons why we know that it's going to be an ultra popular person. Not a person that is always being um, downgraded and, and disputed over these kinds of things. You as a Christian, as you present Christ to people, you'll run into people that say, well, I believe there's a lot of paths to God. I'm cool. You're cool. Let's all groove together. Cuckoo-cachoo. We're on with our own life. Well, what's wrong with that? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father but by me. Again, Jesus in that verse categorically said, all the religions of the world are bogus. Now, stop to think about that for a minute. That's why we can't, as people would ask us a question, well, I believe all paths lead to God. You can say, well, I don't. Well, why is that? Because of what Jesus said. Have you ever heard of Jesus? Well, yes, he was a great teacher. Oh, really? What did he teach? And when you really examine in Scripture what Jesus taught, that he was the only way of salvation, it was the blood of bulls and goats that can never remove the sin from an individual. Only Jesus' blood did that, and he died in our place. So all of a sudden now, we have a different viewpoint of life what the purpose of life is, what eternity is, and even for that matter, who Jesus is, than perhaps someone you're talking to. That's why you need to know the Bible. We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, we find here, it says they um, were in dispute with Stephen, verse 10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which Stephen spoke. Now, friends, that's a miracle. That God supernaturally will cause in your heart to remember things that you didn't even think you knew. And you know, I've had this happen to me before as well. I've been talking to different people and uh, different religions, and we just begin to uh, uh, share about the Bible and things. And God starts bringing things to my memory that I didn't even know I knew. And I go, God, that is so amazing how you do that, those miracles of God. And again, friends, God quickening your thoughts to be able to address what's in their minds. Friends, that's a miracle. Well, that's what God did. And when he did this, this is the problem. They weren't able to defend their position anymore. They were getting beat in the debate. Well, verse 11 says... Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him. They seized Stephen and brought him into the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. Never mind them breaking the Ten Commandments, bearing false witness against the brother. You know, that's what I find a lot of times with people who insist on keeping the Ten Commandments as their means of righteousness. You see, they don't realize how much they even violate the Ten Commandments every time usually they do anything because it's not within man, the Bible says, to live righteously. You, me, we're not good on our own. That's what's wrong with your kids. Can't your kids be good? No, they can't. And I don't care how much you tell them, how much you try, how much you bribe them, how much you whoop them, they will do what they do. Or have you noticed that? I am amazed how the old sin nature begins to rear its ugly head at these innocent ages of four and five and sometimes even younger. 
they become professional, at least in their own mind, liars. Did you eat the cookie with crumbs all over their face? No. How, how is it that you can do this? And you go in the kitchen and they have skillfully pulled every drawer, the bottom drawer out the furthest, then the second drawer out a little bit farther, and, and they have their stairway to heaven where the cookies are kept. And they don't think you know this. They think you're completely oblivious and you're buying every word that they're saying. But no, the old sin nature is a very crafty, devious thing. And it likes to justify itself. And this was one of the problems with the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin concerning Jesus. Well, we keep the law, they would tell Jesus. Jesus said, well, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. People say, well, see, you're supposed to be under the law. No, that isn't what Jesus said. The fulfillment, the righteous requirements of the law, what God will accept as perfection, we can't do. But there was somebody that did that for us named Jesus who gave us that righteousness as a gift. Man, I'll tell you, friends, that's good news. And so they were building their case, paying, bribing people. I don't know, maybe paying off their school loans. Who knows? But whatever it is, it says they they were setting up false witnesses to bear blasphemous, to say that he was bringing blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. Now, very quickly, when we look at this, there's a couple of things. You have to look at what their accusations are for you to really understand when we get into chapter 7, how he very much, guided by the Holy Spirit, directs the answer to their questions. So, remember, blasphemous words against this holy place, speaking of the temple, and the law. Now again, remember, they're in violation of the law right now because one of the Ten Commandments is not to bear false witness against the neighbor and they're going out paying people to lie about Stephen. Now, the next part. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change customs which Moses delivered to us And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at Stephen, saw his face like the face of an angel. He was was, um, unmoved by their accusations. That's what I call confidence. When you can be cool in the fire. Friends, every one of us are going to be in the fire. Either from our family, either from co-workers, either from people we don't know. But there's always going to be something that's going to challenge your relationship with God. They always will. How do you stay? Well, I, I, I don't know what to do. I, 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 quick, where's my pocket? I got to read a verse. No, being cool in the fire. That's one of the things the Bible says. Jesus said, peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, I'll give you peace. Friends, when you're in the fire, you need to be cool. Do you know they say in a prize fight, 
You know, you have the heavyweight champion of the world. They say one of the reasons that people will lose in a fight is when they get flustered. They get out of control. They're, they're not calculating what they're doing anymore. They get flustered and start throwing wild punches, and that leaves them open for the knockout punch from the opposition. If you can keep cool in the fire, you're going to be good. Remember, anytime you're ever confronted about your faith, know this. First of all, the Holy Spirit is there with you. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, arranged that meeting, even though sometimes it can be quite heated, as we will see when we move into chapter 7. It was heated, as you look at this. So the high priest, chapter 7, verse 1. The high priest said, are these things so? So you find Stephen being the accused, but by the end of chapter 7, we're going to find he's the one accusing them. It's weird how the Holy Spirit will change any situation if you'll let him do that. So he says, are these things so? And Stephen said, men and brethren, fathers, listen, I, I really like the way he starts this. Now, friends, there's wisdom in this. And if you're a boss in your company, I think if you can relate to your employees that, hey, I know what it's like, I think it really goes a long way in communication. He didn't say, you bunch of goofballs, what's wrong with you? No, how does he start off? Very cordial. Now, we're going to find out for some of you that just can't wait for the end of the story. They stoned Stephen to death over this. They were so convicted in the heart of what Stephen said that they killed Stephen over this issue. But he starts off, notice, by relating to him and giving respect. Men, brethren, fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. Now, if you've been coming here any length of time, you remember we went through the book of Genesis uh, about a year ago, and we talked about this very thing. What is amazing here is he starts off saying, God appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia. God appeared to you in Twin Falls, Idaho. God appeared to you in Buell. God appeared to you in Jerome. You say, well, what's the point here? Remember what the argument was. Stephen was saying and saying, uh, defiling this holy place. Stephen starts right off saying, you don't need a holy place for God to talk to you. I feel bad when you find religions that believe that God is about their temple or about their building. In fact, we find in Isaiah 66, God says, what building will you build for me? Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. This was a thing that God spoke to King David over as well. Then in the book of Acts, the Bible says in Acts 17, 24, God will not dwell in buildings made with men's hands. So why do religions today put such emphasis on a building? Oh, friends, this is really goofy. The good news is God goes everywhere you go. I like that. 
I have a God that is nomadic, a God that's on the move, and he'll go where we go. Sometimes I've been a little embarrassed by the places I've gone where I know that Jesus probably wouldn't have gone himself. I repented of that. But when we stop to think about it, God in you, the Bible says, the hope of glory. See, that's what's neat. The Bible says we are buildings. You are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. And where you go, God goes. Jesus said, don't be taken away by these people and say, oh, the Lord's making an appearance in the desert or he's in the city. He says, he comes into you. And where you go, he goes. So the first thing that Stephen does is they're trying to say, well, this holy place. Do you know what makes this building holy this morning? Holy people are in it. Because when you leave here, it's still sheetrock, wiring, some lights, and carpet. You are the church, not a building. God does not dwell in a building made with men's hand. He lives in something much more ornate, much more complicated, much more beautiful than any building. He lives in you. Now, friends, this is really important to me because immediately when I begin to visit with people in different religions and they begin to reference their temple or their building or their, uh, you know, religious sect headquarters, I realize they're more into dogma than they are into the Word of God. And what I mean by dogma is this. Well, this is what our church believes. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. All that kind of stuff. Well, I'm not into church dogma. And what does the Bible say? And when I realize that God lives in me, where two of you are gathered together in his name, he's there in the midst. Now, friends, that's important to know. That God is not limited by a holy place. This is what Stephen was conveying to them. That Abraham, the very Abraham that you talk about, that you, our father Abraham met God not in a temple, but he met him out in the wilderness. Let's read on. So then it says, in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Aaron. And God said to him, get out of your country from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there When his father was dead, he moved him to the land which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and for his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that the descendants would sojourn in a foreign land, that they would bring them back into bondage and oppress them for 400 years. That's exactly what happened. We remember the children of Israel, supposedly free people, did some kind of bad things. We find they find themselves in Egypt for 400 years. Now, one of the things, again, we want to talk about this, we'll talk about a little bit more here in a minute. But... Abraham never 
inherited any property, though the Bible says God was going to... Remember, uh, Lot and and Abraham and their servants, and they were all living together, Brady Bunch, all there, and there were fights breaking out over the well water. And and so um, God spoke to him. They came to Lot and said, we, we can't live here together. There's just too many of us. And um, so we remember that he just said, you go. And they split up. And God then does some amazing things. He gives Abraham a promise that he was going to give him the land that he saw. But you know the only land that we ever find in the Bible that he ever owned, Abraham owned? Now, he had a promise from God, but the only land he ever owned was a a cemetery plot, cave, for uh, his wife Sarah that he bought. That's the only, only inheritance of land he ever got. Out of that great promise. But God keeps his promises. Now he goes on and he says this. The children of Israel, because they ended up in Egypt for 400 years, they were slaves. And a nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, says God, after they shall come out and serve me in this place. And that's exactly what happened. Remember what happened? God sends Moses, says, let my people go. Pharaoh goes, nah, I'm not doing that. I like the free labor. And so anyway, after 10 plagues, he says, get out. Pharaoh says, get out, take everything. They left on their way to the promised land. We remember the Red Sea covers over the Egyptian army and Egypt really never ascended to world prominence again after that judgment of God. This is exactly what the Bible says. So then we find here, it says that he gave them a covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac, circumcised him on the eighth day. Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. Now the circumcision thing, I imagine, when that, you know, we take it now pretty much as normal practice, but I can just see back in those days, you want to do what with what? Well, that was the promise that God gave them. It was something that God made a covenant People say, well, what's that all about? Friends, I believe it goes back to simply a living sacrifice. That's what God does. And that's what we are today. That's why we're not of circumcision or of, or of this or of that. We are of Christ. But we are living sacrifices, every one of us, because we have to do what God wants to do rather than what we want to do. Now, I know there's a lot of Christian sect religion out there that says, no, Jesus is your heavenly Santa Claus. You just use faith words. Tell them exactly what you want so God won't make a mistake. <laughs> Boy, it's a good thing we're here, huh? Because we don't want God making any mistakes. Well, the problem is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're here to do what God's called us to do, not what I want to do. Now, God's purpose for our life has been predetermined, friends. I've done a lot of funerals for old people. And I've done funerals for people that are only maybe six months old. 
And I'll tell you, the first funeral I ever did was in Filer, Idaho. A couple in our church had a stillborn child. And I remember it was, it was almost like out of a old movie. I had a long trench coat on because it was snowing and the wind was blowing and we were under a little tent and here's a little, little casket about this big. And it just, I, I just looked at it and I just, you know, I, I remember those words when Jesus showed up at Lazarus' funeral, if you will. And the Bible says Jesus wept. He didn't, I don't think he was weeping over Lazarus being dead because he knew he was going to bring him back to life in just a few minutes. But I believe Jesus was weeping over the whole death thing. Everybody there weeping and crying and all those things. And then here I am, little casket, and weeping and crying and all those things. And I remember people walked up and says, well, where was God when my son died? And I said, the same place he was at when his son died. You see, we're all put on this earth for a purpose and a time and a reason. And I believe sometimes those are fulfilled maybe in just the first couple of hours, months, years of life. In it to remind us all that we're not promised tomorrow. Not all of us die when we're 105. That sometimes that little life that died is to remind us that death can come to any of us. God puts us all on this earth for a reason. And like I tell people, if you're not a Christian, first of all, you better get on your knees and find out why you're here other than just occupying space. But find out why God put you here. Number two, when God put us on this earth for his purpose, when our purpose is done, baby, I'm out of here. I had a heart attack. I died. Dead for two minutes. Here I am. I said, why, God? And God said, I'm not done with you yet. Oh, simple, easy enough to understand. You know, the Bible says in Revelation, there's two witnesses in the streets of Jerusalem warning the people of the world not to take the mark of the beast, turn to God during the tribulation period. It says, when their testimony is complete. In other words, when their purpose, God put them on this earth, is finished, they are allowed to be killed. Three days, the Bible says, they lay in the streets of Jerusalem. The whole world sees them lying dead there. And by the way, with the advent of satellite television communications, that prophecy would have been impossible. Now we know that it does exist. We have these different news networks that are out there with their cameras the minute something is happening. But it says after three days, there's a voice from heaven that says, come up here. And the Bible says these two dead guys, they wouldn't even bury them. In fact, the Bible says the world exchanges gifts one another like Christmas time. The prophets are dead. The prophets are dead. They're so happy they don't want to hear their message. A voice from heaven says, come up here. They stand on their feet and they just ascend into heaven. Now, I can't, again, I can't imagine the cameraman filming that. Whoa, 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 something's going on here. I see an arm moving. Oh, they're standing up. Uh, they're flying. Oh, and up they go. 
When your testimony is done, we're out of here. Stephen's purpose, testimony, was to stand to be not only, I believe, the first martyr, but to be the one that brought the whole Old Testament understanding to the Sanhedrin in a way that was absolutely undeniable. So he looks and he says, he gave them the covenant, gave them the order, Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs, and the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. I like that. God was with him. Even though man may traitor on you, turn their back on you, even maybe people you thought were your family and your friends, brothers, sisters, God remained faithful. Remember this. The Bible says God is the one that makes wealthy and makes poor. Yes, the Bible actually says that. If you don't believe me, read the book of Job. You'll see some crazy things there. But then God restored him in the end. What I'm saying, God is with you when you're about your father's business. And so he says, God was with him and delivered him out of all of his troubles. Oh, I like that. Doesn't say some of his troubles, all of his trouble. Though it took time, God kept his word. Gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and made him governor over Egypt and all of his house. Now a famine, a great and troublesome one, came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first, speaking of the twelve, and made known to his brothers... Uh, he said, he, he said, but jo- excuse me, but when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first, known to his brothers, and it says, and the second time Joseph uh, made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. The second time. Now this is where Stephen starts getting ready to really present something, because the rest of the chapter, he begins to explain... It takes you two times to recognize God's hand in your life. We remember, and this is what he goes on and says, um, they didn't recognize him when they came to beg for food the first time. And then the second time when they were all there, that's when he finally made known to them who he was. I'm the brother you lied to dad about saying I got killed by animals. And instead, God used me to preserve all of you because he knew the great famine was coming. You see, God knows what's coming in the future, friends. I don't. I know that I'm in him. That doesn't mean God's going to reveal to you and me lottery numbers. But it does mean that God will have you and me in the right place at the right time to do what he wants us to do in the days to come. I don't trust in circumstances. I don't trust in having it my way. I do trust in saying, okay, God, I've surrendered my life to you. And that's what a Christian is. Someone that's confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. His blood has been applied to their life. Their sins are forgiven. Now I'm free to do what God wants me to do for him 
why I'm here on this earth while you're here on this earth to be about our Father's business. And friends, there's nothing else that will carry any reward in heaven other than that. The Bible says, what is the profit you if you gain the whole world, lose your own soul? And so many people are so concerned about, about today, they forget about eternity. And eternity is one heartbeat away. The day I died, not many people can say that. But the day I died was the last thing I thought I was going to do when I got up that Saturday morning on December 5th. If somebody would have said, do you know you're going to be, you're going to be clinically dead in four hours? I would have said, <laughs> what have you been smoking? But the thing is, the truth of the matter was, put a light on my garage, stepped off my ladder, looking at my light, and all of a sudden, ow, wow, that hurts. Went in the house thinking it was gas pains, laying on the couch trying to wiggle around to make it pop and go away. Just kept getting worse. Thank God my wife had enough common sense to say, I'm going to take you to the hospital. I don't want to go. We're going to Hawaii in five days. I don't want to go to the emergency room with all those sick people and get COVID. I'm serious. That was two years ago when it was such a hot button. We get there. On the way, it went away. I said, I'm fine. Let's go get a latte. If she would have listened, I wouldn't be here. I got to the parking lot. I was there. The heart pains kept getting worse and worse. I walked in. A friend that was with us yells, this guy's having a heart attack. They grabbed me, threw me in a chair, wheeled me back. They, all he did is ask my name. I gave him my name. They wheeled me back, pulled my pants off, threw me on a gurney, started putting suckers all over me. I think they knew it was coming. I didn't. And from the time I walked in, 15 minutes later, I was dead. If somebody would have told me that morning, this is your last day, I'd have said, you're crazy. There's nothing wrong with me. Yeah, it was a COVID clot to the heart. But nevertheless, it makes you just dead. They put a stand in me and they got it in there so fast I'm still alive. But the point is, is this. God has his hand on us. God was with him through all of his troubles. Friends, this morning, as we're going to get more into this next week, this is a quite a long chapter, chapter 7 of the book of Acts, the testimony of Stephen. And we're going to get where God sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. And they rejected him. Here was their Savior. Then the Bible here says, 40 years later, God sent him back to them again. This time they listened to what he had to say. They stayed in slavery 40 more years because they failed to realize their deliverer. And this is what Stephen then goes through the Bible, presenting to these people that should know the scripture, but rather it had become religion. It became stories. It become it became illustrations, but not faith. And I believe it is so easy for people to settle for religion rather than a true relationship with God. That's what makes real Christianity different than every other religion of the world. It's a real personal relationship with a real God that really loves you, that loved you so much that he died for you. 
His book was written so that he would get you into heaven, not keep you out. And God's whole heart is to put heaven in your heart. That's what God wants to do. This morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I want you to think about a couple of things. What are you living for? Boy, that would be a hard one, wouldn't it? No eternal purpose. In your mind, when you're dead, you're dead. I pray there is no hell, and I'm sure there ain't no heaven. That's what the song said. So where does that lead me? A wasted life. But every day you can be laying up for yourself treasure in heaven by being about your father's business. This morning, if you're a Christian and you believe the lies of the world and your focus has gotten off, I want to invite you to come home to the Lord this morning. Number two, if you're not a Christian, we're going to pray and you can ask Jesus to come into your life right now and let him change you from the inside out, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. He'll take out of the things of your life that don't belong. He'll put in the things in your life that do belong. That's what God does. He's a miracle working God that does miracles just like he did in the Bible. He does them today. And I want to encourage you to start walking on the spiritual side of life. Not in just what you see is what you get. Because that's all the world can offer. But God offers you something much more this morning. If you've never prayed and asked the Lord in your life, If you realize deep down in your soul that you don't want to live like you've been living, you don't want another five years, ten years like you just had, today's your day. And then as God uses you in unbelievable ways, Stephen was appointed to wait tables. We find now he's one of the major ministers in the New Testament. That's what God does. He does impossible things with people like us to do incredible things that will last forever. If you've never prayed and asked the Lord in your life, we're going to pray right now. And you can ask the Lord to come in your life and let him do something brand new. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I'm sorry I have lived my life without you. I ask you to forgive me and I repent of the foolish way that I've lived. So from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. Make me the best I can be for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I'll have love for the lost and I'll have boldness to tell people about you. Write my name now in your book of life. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and his blood covered my sins and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And so now I commit my life into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.